So we're going to move on in, uh, in this series, uh, in this uh, Romans series. We're calling When in Rome, and we're just kind of walking through it chapter by chapter. Last week, we tackled uh, three chapters together. The first two weeks, we tackled one chapter together, right? So uh, it's just kind of whatever happens in the letter and how it lays out together. Uh, we're actually going to, this week is going to be kind of a part A of a two-part series because what I wanted to get into would have been two hours long, and I don't want to hold you for that. Um, I don't even necessarily want to hold you for an hour, uh, but uh, it's, it's, it's worth getting into, right? So know that as we talk about stuff this week and we get into the letter this week, next week is really going to join in and, and partner with the message that we get into from chapter five, starting in chapter five this week. Um, and I want to remind you, I want to start out by reminding you, this is a letter from Paul to not just Rome in general. This is a letter from Paul to the church in Rome, okay? These are Christians. These are people who belong to the church that Paul is writing to. And when he writes to them, he says, I really wish I could come visit you. This is what we talked about in the first week. I really wish I could come visit you, but I can't. And since I can't, I'm going to write you this letter. And in it, uh, I, I would be very excited to come to you, but since I can't come to you, I'm excited to preach the gospel to you through this letter, right? Um, he wants to visit them to preach the gospel. Since he can't, he's writing them this letter that is the gospel, okay? And that's why, like I, I think we said it last week, you can, go and you can go through the Romans road and find scriptures that, are, uh, it, that explain very quickly the gospel. And that's because Paul is writing this letter with the intent to say, hey, here's the gospel, Okay? Um, I, I want you to know this. And it might seem strange that Paul is writing the gospel to the church, but he's trying to clear some, up, some stuff up because there's some confusion. Um, he's writing to a mixed bunch of people. There's, there's some Jewish people in the mix. Uh, they're Christians, but they have a Jewish heritage uh, and Jewish theology that they're bringing forward. There's some Gentiles in the bunch, and he's trying to straighten a lot of this stuff out. All of that we've talked about so far, right? Um, and so I just want to remind you that this is the gospel according to Paul's understanding, and it's, it, it, he's expressly writing it to clear up some things for the church. And so far, we've gone through this. Paul has laid out a couple of things just as a way of review. Uh, number one, he says, uh, the good news, this good news that I have and I understand, this good news is about righteousness, okay? It is about the righteousness of humanity. So, God or, or being who God created humanity to be. That's, he, he lays that out pretty clearly. In this gospel, the righteousness is revealed. Secondly, he says, the reason we need a gospel that is about righteousness is because humanity is not what God wanted it to be. It's not what God created it to be. It's not how, how he set out to design people. And speaking in general, he kind of says, listen, humanity as a whole denied the truth of God and God has allowed people that choice of belief or unbelief in him, in his truth, okay? And, uh, and humanity is now, because Adam and Eve, humanity, chose to not believe the truth of God, now humanity exists in a state of unrighteousness, okay? That is our state. That's where we find ourselves. We are not as we are meant to be. And he lists all of the things that, it, if you look at the chap, end, of, end of chapter 1, not all of the things, but a lot of the things that come out of that state of unrighteousness, okay? He says, 
the, the state of unrighteousness. It leads to un, uh, wickedness, greed, envy, uh, full of e- or evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, the gossips. He says people are slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, unmerciful, and you get the picture. It's not pretty, right? But that all comes out of the state of unrighteous being. And what we need to understand is those are the symptoms of unrighteousness. Okay, those are the symptoms. Those are the things that come out of that, uh, of the being in a state that we are, or being in a way, being uh, uh, in, a, in a being, I guess you would say, that is not as God meant for us to be. It's not as he created humanity. And that's because sin came in through Adam and Eve. All right, so that's the bad news, okay, right? Humanity is not right in being. And then he goes on to explain that includes everybody. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you had the law or you, didn't, or you don't have the law. It is all included, uh, or you are included in that bunch, okay? So just because some of you might have had the law and followed the law, that does not exclude you from the problem of unrighteousness, okay? Following the law was, was, uh, was following certain behaviors and stopping Uh, those certain behaviors. So it's like stopping the symptoms of the disease, but it does not resolve the underlying issue of unrighteousness. That's what Paul is wrapping up here. It's like having a runny nose and putting cotton balls up your nose, right? It stops the runniness, but the thing causing the runniness is still there. That's what, that's what he's, he is uh, saying, right? And then finally, last week we talked about since law doesn't solve the issue, we talked about the thing that does solve the issue, and that is faith in Jesus Christ to have accomplished it, okay? Faith now is the vehicle to being made right, and that's good news because you and I, we can do faith, right? We can believe that he did it, and we can be made new through that belief. Um, and so, Paul is saying faith is that vehicle. Faith is the vehicle to being made right. Or to use the proper term, faith is uh, the vehicle for justification. Remember we talked about that word justification, the idea of justification, and that's just the word that means it's the act of being made right, okay? It's the act of being made right. Righteousness is being made right, or is in being in that, your, your new being as a righteous person, Okay? Justification is the act of God making you as you ought to be. Um, So you and I, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we now exist in that covenant of faith. Where, and he gives that example of Abraham, just like Abraham, okay? This is not the first time that people existed in a relationship with God based on faith. Just like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, we believe God. That is the relationship we have with God. We enter into that, uh, it, that um, covenant of faith and thereby are made righteous. And so Paul continues to go on this morning um, to write about the fact that law is not in that equation, okay? We're gonna find, and he's gonna keep coming back to that. And it's, you have to know that again, like I said last week, he's writing to people who this was their whole life. 
And so for them to come to a, a different understanding with the law and what the, the law was for and all that, it takes time. And so he keeps coming back. He keeps repeating uh, what he has said before. And you'll find that again this morning because we're going to talk more about the law and how it's faith and not the law again this morning, but in a little bit of a different context. Um, because what we talk about in, in verse five or in chapter five, if you got your Bible and you go to chapter five, you'll see that the heading of that, somebody has written this in, Paul didn't write this in, but somebody has uh, written this heading as uh, it's the results of justification, okay? So Paul's kind of answering that question of like, okay, so we're justified, but what does that mean? Like what, what's the results of that justification? And we're gonna find it in the first two verses, okay? These are the results of justification. So uh, chapter five, Romans five, starting in verse one, it says this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we celebrate in hope of the glory of God. Now again, Paul starts out with the therefore, right? I, I wanna go back and I wanna count how many therefores or because ofs or since then Paul talks about. And it's important to know that or it's important to take note of that because it reminds us that this is a letter. It's all encompassing. It's all a part of the gospel that Paul is understanding, okay? You can't take a piece and say this is what he's saying without understanding in the context of the letter because everything is a therefore. Therefore, if that's true, if what I said, therefore, this is how it, it's, gonna, it's gonna work. So since we have been introduced uh, to, to a relationship with God, a, righteous, a righteousness by faith. Since then, here's what that means is what he's saying, okay? So therefore, because of this, he says, it's by faith that you're justified. Now, because of this, here's what that means. By faith, we have been justified. Therefore, we have peace with God. That's the result of justification. Having been justified, having been made right by faith now, our status, our relationship with God is peace, okay? That's, what he, that's, that's the result of our justification. At one time, before Jesus, he's telling everybody, listen, before you had Jesus, at one time, your relationship with God, you existed, your status with God was not peace, okay? You did not have peace with God. But because we have faith in Jesus, the result of us being made right is that we now do have peace with God. Paul goes on to expand it in verse nine. He says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we not only, not only this, uh, sorry, Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation or the reconciliation. So what Paul is saying is like, listen, the result of our justification, the result of us being made right, being back to who God meant us to be at the very beginning at creation, he's saying, we now have peace with God. That's not always the case. We were once enemies of God. And that Greek word that he uses there it, for enemy, that, that is interpreted enemy, that's a very strong word. It means hostile, foe, right? Hated one. It's very strong language. Um, 
one who is opposing God. Now, I don't think Paul is saying, listen, God hates you, because remember, why else would he send Jesus to save us? For God so loved the world. Remember that whole thing, right? But he's using that strong language to say, listen, your status before Christ was not a place of peace. In a very strong way, it was not a place of peace. It's a place of, of, uh, of turmoil with God, okay? It's a place of opposition. It's a place of insecurity, a place of fear, a place of anxiety, a place of instability, of uneasiness, of stress, of strain. Those are all antonyms. Those are all opposites of, what it, of peace, okay? That's what your relationship with God, a relationship to God was like before you were justified, okay? All of those things. And if you think about it, if you're on the other side, if you're opposing God, yeah, that's, gonna be a, that's not gonna be a place of peace, right? That's gonna be a place of trouble. That's gonna be a place of turmoil. That's gonna be a place of, of, of all kinds of stuff because, man, he, he can rain down hellfire on you like that. He can flick you off the face of this earth. And if you know that, if you're aware of God and you're, on the, you're opposing on the opposite side, that's not a place of peace right? That's a place of turmoil and of stress. But Paul says, because of Christ, because of God himself. Now, let's get that part right too, okay? Let's get that part right, because this is not the Son of God in Jesus protecting us from the Father God, okay? This is all the same God. A lot of us have in our minds that Jesus is the one, he loves us and he's gonna, he cares for us, but he's gotta protect us from Father God. This is not the case, okay? This is all one God. The Father is the Son, is the Holy Spirit. It's all the same God, right? One does not protect us from the other. They have all, God has rescued us. God has made us right in Jesus. So we have to get that part right. Um, and he says that, we have peace with God because of the Son, okay? Because we've been reconciled to him through, uh, excuse me, because we have been reconciled to him through his death, but now we're not only reconciled, we're also saved. He says in verse, uh, where is it? It's in verse 10 or 11. That word sozo, sozo, it means to be whole, heal, full, complete, okay? So we're not just, we're not just made from, uh, taken as ourself and, and we get to live in peace with God. We're actually healed and made whole and brought into peace with God, okay? That's what justification is. That is the result of our justification. And so because this thing has been done by God, not by us, but because he has done this thing, we now exist in that peace with God. That's our reality now as born again, as made new people, peace with God. How many times can I say that? That's our status now, okay? And that's important because next week we're gonna keep coming back to that. Peace with God is a reality right now for you and I because of what God has done. Now, let me ask you a question. Where in what we just read, in the equation of, here's the results of your, of, of your justification. Um, here is, here's, that happen, here's how that happens. Faith in Jesus Christ, you've been made new. Where is law in that discussion? It's not. 
right? And that's capital L, law, the law, and that's lowercase l, law that we might make up, right? So like morality, moral standards that we, that we need to abide by. Law doesn't factor into that, okay? Is what Paul is saying. It's not there. He says the gospel is about making you right again because making you right, uh, because if you're not right, then you're at odds with God. But you being made right, now you're at peace with God. And in that equation, law does not exist, okay? It does not exist. And so the result of faith and not law of any kind is making us righteous. It results in peace with God. Now, for those of us, or for those who would be reading this letter from Rome, from the church in Rome, who would be of Jewish background, they might be a little bit confused and a little bit offended by this whole statement, okay? Just like we talked about last week, the Jewish person, for the Jewish person, in their understanding, following the law is what kept them or brought them into that relationship with God, okay? It kept them in a status of, okay, I'm good with God. That, that was their understanding um, that, that following the law that came from Moses was what made them righteous in a way, okay? And here, Paul is saying that's, that's not the case, okay? So if you're Jewish, then you're asking the question, well, what's the law for, right? Why the law then? What was the whole purpose of that? And we kind of talked about it last week a little bit, but again, Paul is trying to make this clear to these people, and he comes back around to it again. So if you look at verse 12 in chapter 5, we're looking for the role of law. So what is the role of law then? Therefore, just as through one man's sin, uh, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sin. So let's pause right there. Let's make sense of that, okay? So just as through, uh, uh, excuse me, just as through one man's sin entered into the world. So he's saying because Adam sinned, Adam and Eve, because they sinned, sin entered the world, okay? And death entered in through that sin, okay? Because all have sinned, all mankind has sinned. Verse 13, for until the law, we're asking what the role of law is, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. So hold up. Oh, let's keep reading. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Okay. Now, verse 13. For the law, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. So what's the role of law? The role of law was to count sin against people. And he said, sin was in the world, but until the law, it was not counted against people. Interesting. Go on to verse 18. So then, as, though one of, as through one offense, so he's repeating the same thing again. So then, as through one offense, the result was condemnation to all mankind. So also through one act of righteousness, that's Jesus, the result was justification of life to all mankind. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one, the many were made righteous. We're looking for the role of law. Here it is. You ready? Because in that equation, there is, there is nothing, Right? There is no law in that equation. Through one man's sin, disobedience, the many were made unrighteous. Just so through one man's obedience, the many were made, were made righteous, okay? So there's no law in that equation. 
Here's the role of law. So what then? What's the law, Paul? The law came in so that the offense would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is the role of the law? What is the role of the law? And I can hear the Jewish Christians and a lot of Christians uh, today even go, now wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. God gave Moses the law so that we would know where we stand with him. God gave Moses the law so that we could be in right relationship with him, right? That's what law is for. We follow the laws. We know we're good with God. We don't follow the laws. We know we're not good with God. Therefore, we do the sacrificial system and we get back in good with God and we get back to following the law, okay? That's what the law is for. That was what their understanding was. We follow the law so that we're good with God. The modern interpretation of that is, well, I know I don't have to do all the sacrifices, right? But following the law is what pleases God. That's the modern interpretation, right? And if I don't follow the law, if I don't do the things of the law, well, then God's not happy with me and I don't know if I'm saved. That's the modern interpretation. The law is what pleases God. But what did Paul say the purpose of the law was? He didn't say any of that stuff, right? Paul just said that the purpose of the law was not as a measuring stick of relationship with God or as a means of relationship with God, like many people would approach it, or even as a means of pleasing God and making sure that, that well, it's God's law, so, so he must want it, and that's what we gotta do. We gotta make, because it makes him happy if we do it, right? It's not any of that. The purpose of the law, Paul said, was to increase the offense and to count people's sin against them. What? That's what he said. God did something to increase sin or to increase him, him being offended by the sin? Really? Let me read it again. I don't know how else to interpret it. Verse 20, it's right there. The law came in so that the offense would increase. How else do you interpret that? The law came in so that the offense would, before sin wasn't counted against people until the law came and now it's counted against people. That's the role of the law. I don't know how else to interpret it. God, and, and we would be like, wait, 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 wait. God wouldn't do that. God hates sin. I agree. God doesn't like sin. It's offensive to him. He wouldn't do something to increase the offense of sin. He wouldn't do something to count sin against people now, would he? I, I, thought, I thought he wanted Jesus to come and save me and for me to exist in a relationship of peace with him. Why would he do something to increase sin? He wouldn't do that. Really? Jesus did it. Jesus stepped it up another notch. What we normally look at as the right way to live what we call, or a lot of people call, and it's not, but a lot of people call it the new covenant, is Jesus increasing the offense of sin. That's what it is. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus increasing the offense. Just like the law came in and set and increased the offense, so Jesus saying these things is increasing the offense. The law said, here's the things you should or you shouldn't do. If you cross the line, it's sin, okay? 
And now because it's law, it's counted against you. Sin was there before, but now it's law. And so it's counted against you. It's held against you. You're accountable to it. Okay. Now Jesus comes along. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says, oh, you guys know the law, right? Don't murder, don't murder. But I tell you, if you get angry with someone and if you call them a fool, that's a sin. He increased it. Not just don't murder somebody, but now if you call somebody a fool, now you're in danger of hellfire. He increased the offense. He says, um, you know, the law says don't commit adultery, right? But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've done it. He just increased the offense. He did it again. You're guilty of adultery, even that. And now you're accountable for that, okay? He increased the offense. Why would God do that? Does he just like to see us fail? Does he just like to see us dig a deeper hole for ourselves? Why would, he, why would he send Jesus, the one who I thought was supposed to save us, why would he send Jesus to make the law more strict, to make it more difficult to have a good relationship with him? Why would he do that? Why would he, he, he do something that would increase the offense? The rich young ruler found out about this. Right, The guy we call the rich young ruler, we don't really know who he was. But he came to Jesus and he said, listen, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, uh, follow the law. You know the law. He said, yeah, I know the law. But which ones should I follow? Well, first of all, I thought they were all important. right? But he said, specifically, Jesus, which ones? Like, like which ones should I? Um, I don't know. How about uh, don't commit adultery? Um, how about don't, don't, uh, let, me, let me get the ones he says. Where'd it go? There it is. He said, how about... Uh, don't murder anybody, don't sleep around, don't steal, honor your mom and dad, and um, hmm, how about love, love your neighbors yourself? How about those? And the guy says, perfect, I've done all of those. Like since I was a little boy, I have, I have done all of that, right? Uh, is, is there anything else, Jesus? And you can see a smile on his face, right? Is there anything else? And Jesus says, oh, you've done all those. Um, how about you go and, I mean, you got a lot of money, right? You, you, how about you go sell everything you got? Give most of it to the poor and follow me. He increased the offense because the guy wasn't willing to do that. He went away sad. Why would God do that? Why would Jesus increase the offense to something that he knew this guy wasn't willing to do? Was it just because he was being, he like wanted to have tough love on this guy? Like, are you, if you're really serious about following me, then, then you'll sell everything you got and you'll follow me. That's how we mostly interpret that thing. Why would God do this? I thought he wanted me to have peace in relationship with him through Jesus. So why then give the law to increase the offense and cre create more of a need for Jesus? Why then would he make it, uh, why would he send Jesus and, and raise it even another level? We'll go back to what Paul said in chapter three about what the law does. He said, the law brings the knowledge of sin, okay? The law brings the knowledge of sin. The law increases the offense because it reveals that what you're doing is sin. It reveals sin. 
okay? It makes it known. The law brings about an understanding of sin. Sin was there no matter what, but the law made you aware of it, okay? Sin is there no matter what, but the law makes you, means that, that you know about it and now you're accountable to it. And the reason he does this, here it is, you ready? The reason he does this is so that humanity would know something's wrong. Something is wrong. So they would know something's not right in here. Something's not right in the people around me. Something, something is off. And it isn't about the symptoms of the sin. This is about the disease of unrighteousness. God gave the law and Jesus increased the law so that people would see there is a problem and it isn't fixed by sinning less. You can follow the law and sin less and you haven't addressed the issue, okay? It's like when the doctor injects dye into your system. You go to the doctor because you got a headache and they do all these tests. Maybe one of the tests they do is they inject dye into your system so that they can figure out what's going on, right? The dye highlights when there's something wrong. If you just got a headache, you can take an Advil. It covers it up. It stops the symptom, but it doesn't fix the problem, okay? The dye highlights the problem. God gave the law so that people would see there's a problem. There's something wrong. And the law doesn't fix the problem. The law highlights the problem. It was fixed by Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. The law was meant to clarify that there was a problem in humanity. It highlights the symptoms of the disease. The law reveals the sin. And the purpose of revealing the sin is so that people would see that they are not what God created humanity to be. Let me give you a picture. This is the way many of the Jewish people, Christians, would understand it, and probably many Christians today would understand how the law interacts. Go ahead and put that up there. It says, I'm sinful. God gave the law so that I could follow it and be righteous. Okay, that's the way Jewish people, Jewish Christians would have understood it. That's the way many Christians today understand the role of law. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says this. Paul's understanding or explanation is that I am sinful. God gave the law so that I could see I was unrighteous. I am unrighteous. The law does nothing but highlight the fact that I'm unrighteous, that I'm not right outside of Christ. Do you understand? This is all outside of Christ. But the law highlights the fact that I am unrighteous or that the world, the people, are not as they were meant to be. That's the role of the law according to Paul. It's not to make you righteous. It's not to fix the problem. It was never able to do that. The role of the law is not to make God happy when you follow it. The point of the law is to come increasingly show people that humanity exists in a way that was not what they intended. What God intended, sorry. People are not what he created. Humanity that we see walking around on the earth, this earth is not what God designed outside of a relationship with Christ. And because humanity was not as God designed us, humanity 
is not experiencing relationship with God the way that we were meant to experience it in peace, peace with God. Law reveals sin, which reveals unrighteousness, and God wants the unrighteousness revealed because he wants us to see that in our unrighteous state, we can't have peace with him. We can't experience life as it was meant to be experienced. But Jesus fixed all that. That's what we're talking about. Jesus fixed all that. We started with this verse. Therefore, having been made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith in Jesus fixes the problem. He cures the disease, not just stops the symptoms. He cures the disease. And so even though the law was brought in to increase offense, we have now, having faith in Christ, that by his grace, we are made righteous. We are the righteousness of God. And therefore, we can experience peace with God. This is why he says this. I want to read this again. Verse 20. It says, The law came in so that the offense would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life in Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned, so grace would reign. So that sin reigned in death, now grace reigns in life. I love this terminology. Put this picture in your head, okay? If something reigns, what is it? Not R-A-I-N-S, but R-E-I-G-N-S. Did I spell that right? R-E-I-G-N-S, reigns. Well, it's a king, right? It's the big dog. It's the one in charge. It's, it's the one calling the shots. If something reigns, and Paul says, sin reigns in death, okay? But grace reigns in life. Grace is in charge in eternal life. Sin reigns in death, but grace is king in life because of Jesus. Not because of law, not because of religion, but because of Jesus. This is a huge deal. Paul is continuing to try to help the church in Rome understand the reality of the gospel. And he says, listen, things are not as they used to be. You didn't just tack on another commandment, okay? You didn't just elevate the law to another level. Something has changed. The law didn't do anything about it. There's a problem that existed and the law didn't do anything about it. What did fix the problem was you trusting Jesus to have fixed the problem, not you trying to fix it more, okay? And now that problem is fixed. Faith in God to make us right through Jesus Christ is the only thing that can do that where we once had lives and experiences that were ruled by sin, now we have lives and experiences that are ruled by grace. And because grace is in charge in our lives and in our walk with God, we can experience peace with God. Grace has the final say now, not sin, not death. Grace has the final say in our walk with him. I said when we started, this is an A and a B conversation, right? Starts out with this one. Next week, we're going to get on to, to, to B, okay? Which is, okay, I got peace with God. 
But I want you to ask yourself right now, process it this week. Read chapter six, seven, and eight. Process it and ask yourself. I have peace with God. That's a reality for me. But do I experience that peace day to day with God? It's a reality. It might be true. But is it my experience? Because my, uh, my understanding, my belief is that very, 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 very few people who have a reality of a relationship of peace with God, very few people actually experience that peace in their day-to-day relationship with God. It's there, but that's not what they feel. It's there, but that's not what they experience. And next week, we're gonna talk about how then do we experience that relationship? Or why am I not experiencing that peace in my relationship with God? We're gonna talk about that next week. But ask yourself, is that your experience day to day? And then read, five, or read six, seven, and eight maybe and, and figure out if you can see why that may not be your experience. If it's not, maybe it is. But I think that's what Paul gets into next. So let's just close in a word of prayer before we go into, into some more worship. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for being what we needed, for being the reality of of new life in you. God, you didn't have to do that, but you created us for a purpose. And so you have redeemed us for that purpose. And that purpose is relationship with you and a relationship of peace, walking in peace day to day with you. Lord, this week, as we think about that idea of of experiencing peace in our relationship with you, God, would you highlight the ways in which we're not experiencing peace? Would you highlight the reasons we're not experiencing peace? And then would you do away with those reasons? We wanna trust you for this, Jesus. We don't wanna add another law to our life. We don't wanna add another uh, moral that we have to follow so that we can experience peace. Ultimately, God, that's not gonna bring us peace. We're gonna ask you, Holy Spirit, to do the moving, to do the work. We know in eternity it's already done, so we're just gonna trust you to do it in our experience right now. God, we wanna live lives in relationship to you that are not filled with turmoil, that are not filled with trouble, that are not filled with stress and strain and guilt and shame. We wanna live a life of peace with you. Would you be doing that work in our hearts and in our lives? We're trusting you for that. We love you, Jesus. Amen. If y'all would stand, sing some more.